<laughs> got to be careful what you read. God might insist that you learn it. <sighs> hey, when we were talking about wisdom, and I was, and you were like, "There's no wisdom apart from death and resurrection wisdom." I was like, "Let me stop asking for that. Let me stop asking for it. I just got done with the death. I don't even know if I've been raised yet. Let me stop." I remember I was I was brand new Christian, just baptized at a Bible study. My uncle was, is a pastor, and he was teaching Bible study, and and he said, "When you're young, you should start praying for wisdom." Because you don't know yet what you're praying for. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so he said, you're, he said, because wisdom, then that's where I learned that wisdom is a death and resurrection thing. So he said, you're, but pray for it and God will start, uh, you know, he got, and we were, he said, God promises to answer when you pray for it, right? Ask for wisdom and I will give it, I'll give it to whoever who asks. He says, but you're asking um, for death and resurrection. And so he's the same. So when I was leaving to go pastor, this is the last person I met with. I met with my uncle and then the the gentleman who had been my youth pastor for years. And um, and my uncle said, when God has when God has truly called you to the ministry, when you get ordained, He will take everything else away so that you trust in only Him. And you actually minister by faith, and uh, he was right. <laughs> Just, huh? So you're because minister. You're always tempted to turn everything into a works thing. You're always going to be tempted into thinking like, "I just got to get the system right. I just got to get." It's yeah, like, but no, when, that's when, real. When you're truly called. God will just keep taking everything away until you're only trusting in him and then you're doing it by faith and not by works. And you know what's some the, of the best advice I ever got. You don't get that. You don't you don't get out of that just because you don't go in the ministry either. Like that still becomes a part of your oh, Christian yeah. no, life. No, for sure. You know? It still becomes a part of your sanctification. So And it's not be and and what I like about it the way he put it is that it it's not a negative thing. Like we tend to think like, Oh, God took that. Cause it's an idol. God took that. Or, and you know, we, we put a negative spin on everything rather than God took, God took that because he's enough. Mm. And he, and he's, he's showing me he's enough. He's show, you know, um, the, this is the, the same uncle. He did my, um, I owe, him a lot bill farley his books are really good too if you you know he's got a um he had a book that was uh book of the year for world magazine on uh living the grateful christian life is really good um he, but uh yeah he he had a book he was the first he was the one he's a baptist pastor but he's the one that introduced me to um he's got a book on you know uh raising raising kids according to the gospels, you know, got raising kids by faith and not by works. It's really good. And he's got a book that's, uh, but he, he had a book on covenant succession. And, uh, but he said it, too many people were becoming Presbyterian. So he had to, <laughs> so he pulled it to figure out, he had to, he had to figure out what, was how, doing? what it was. <laughs> well, what it was, cause he's like, it's, it's scriptural, right? He, he introduced me. And so he, he's like, He's a guy that's like, well, the Bible says it, so we believe it. And, yep, and yep. he's a convicted Baptist. He's got Baptist convictions, um, but but not, but but also the convictions about what God says about our kids, right? And it holds them together. And and uh, 
he, he's a, uh, um, yeah, but I was like, man, that book on Covenant Succession is fantastic. All the Presbyterians over here are reading it. He's like, yeah, running into that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny? I became a Presbyterian because of Ty Frio, who's a Baptist. I don't even Ty, I don't think Ty would consider himself even Reformed Baptist, maybe. Well, yeah. Todd, I asked Todd one time, we were at studio, I asked Todd one time, I said, are you a Calvinist? He's like, I don't even have those conversations with my wife. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> You're joking, right? And he turned away from me and went back to his computer. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think the, those, the, when you, the folks that, you know, you meet those folks that they just love the scriptures. Yeah. They yeah. just love the scriptures. And yeah. so they point you back to the scriptures over and over. And they also know that the scriptures take you where they take you. Right, right. Right. And you go with it wherever it is. And, the, and, um, that, I, those, I can, those folks, I, I can spend all day up and down ministering with and enjoying and absolutely. And you find them everywhere. I mean, one of the, um, I, I mean, I got to spend some time at, there's a, um, Protestant, it was a, um, it was an Anglican, uh, monastery. Um, so they, and they have a PhD program and I was trying to get into it and I was up there. So I wanted to study, um, something that they taught and they, uh, and so spent two weeks at this Anglican monastery and met some of the neatest Christians that had, that were not, they didn't have experience with the evangelical church that they, they had come to the Lord or had been raised in, um, in high church Anglicanism and just really loved the Lord, loved the scriptures, knew the Bible. We're working, you know, guys that were like, yeah, I've almost got the whole Psalter memorized, right? Like working day in, day out, trying to memorize the whole Psalter. And, and, um, and you hang out with them and you're like, man, these are, these are brothers and sisters that really love the Lord. And, they're, they have never even bumped into the tradition that I was raised in right. or that I came to learn it, right? Like right. they don't have experience. So, um, but you know, the place where you find the word and the spirit, uh, you find fellowship and freedom. And, um, and it, it so it was, it was a really, um, it, it messed with some of my categories. I, yeah. I think we need some of that messing up right now because I think regardless, oh, yeah. regardless of how we like it, God is messing up our categories where you find yourself and this isn't saying that you know um bill is inside what's the guy's name um the atheist who's turning the corner right now is like he's been red pill um oh i haven't heard about this uh yeah uh he used to have um a show on hbo i think he still does um Oh, Bill Maher? Bill Maher. I said Bill. I oh. couldn't remember Maher. Anyway, yeah, yeah. but he's, I think he's. I just didn't know this was happening. Well, I guess red pilled is not necessarily the right term because he's not going conservative. He's just realizing that his position is drifting, right? The party, okay. the, 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 the group the that he's. The party with, that he's. Yeah. I think he sees that they're drifting and um, he's trying to say, I'm, I'm not going that way. Like, I signed up for yeah. something different. Right. And so he yeah. finds himself in the company of more conservative folks who still have us. Well, well, actually, this is probably interesting. Bill Maher's probably right here. 
this is what he signed up for, liberalism right here. And then the conservatives on the on this end, the only thing that's happened is this. I think <laughs> I don't think everybody's moved. Yes, I think that Bill Maher is like, I haven't moved. I have my anchor here. Liberalism that I was a part of that moved and progressivism went way somewhere else. And now the conservatives really aren't conservative. They're just where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's <laughs> totally funny. I think that's well, what really happened. And so I think you're right. I mean, what was, what was really interesting out at this, out at this monastery, um, when we were, that we were all out to dinner one night and you, you know, me, I ask the question you're not supposed to ask often. Why aren't um, you married? <laughs> I'm curious, right? Oh. All, all sorts of things. Okay. Well, so there, the, that was one of the things that was interesting, right? So about half of them were celibate, you know, not married. But then you had a bunch of these monks that were married, and their wives were there with them, living at the monastery. Yeah, so it's it was, weird. It was very weird, right? I was like, I don't have categories for any of this stuff going on. Um, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's real talk. <laughs> Yeah. But it, at, at one point, so we're sitting at dinner and there's, it's me and about, um, so I was the only one without apostolic succession. That was like how they like to describe me oh, because funny. my ordination, my ordination wasn't through a bishop that had apostolic uh, ordination. <laughs> so, but they were very, um, they, I mean, they let, they, um, Oh, I like they these guys. Partake. Oh yeah. They were great. I, they, they let me partake in the, uh, liturgies with certain parts and they, you know, they were very hospitable and welcoming and I had to wear a cassock the whole time I was there. And I kept walking around and saying like, there will be no survivors like Andre the giant. <laughs> but um, so we were out to dinner one night and I just said, so what do y'all think about uh, ordaining women? And the, the whole place went, silent you know where it's like clinking forks and then everything stops yeah it's the only time in my life i've experienced that and and one of the guys says why do you ask i said well because i'm curious and because in the presbyterian church this is we're having to fight this off and i don't know what it is like for you guys and one of the guys was like you're really just curious i was like i said something is going on here that i don't know i can tell from the reaction but i don't know what it is can somebody explain it so one of the guys said that's the question they used to get most of us out of pulpits so this whole big group of of men used to all they all used to be pulpit preachers who got removed because they wouldn't ordain women oh and so this is like the old school so that so this is the only um, this is the resistance Episcopalian. This is the resistance. The only Episcopalian seminary that still was refusing entrance to women to the, like they were in the fight right now. They were refusing entrance to women for the, to the MDiv program, and they were like the last ones left. And and I said, oh my gosh, you got to tell me that story. And and he said, well, they came in saying, well, hey, it's just you know we're just trying to have the conversation, and we're wondering who's who's who and so what's what are your thoughts what <laughs> they are your don't thoughts? they don't know if they want to stone you right now hang you right or like exactly. take you out of beat and, so the, and so every everyone that was honest that was like i don't think the scripture they found other ways to get them out rather than coming at them straightforwardly oh jason but okay they, Keep going. But they all got t- removed from their pulpits and um, a number of them got completely removed from the episcopalian church because they were trying to stop back so back in the 50s like these were these are older men 
So back in the 50s and the 60s, they're resisting the push for feminism in the Episcopalian church, and they got picked off because they got they they um and removed. So uh, it do, it do, was a really interesting do thing you know, to do. You know the, hear ways, the story of do you know the ways and the things that they used and some of the angles they came at them because this is I don't think so. There's a book by Gary North called Crossed Fingers. Everybody yeah. needs to read it. Everybody needs to. It's like 900 pages. Or, no, no. No, no. Yeah, it's like 980 pages or something like that. 86 pages. But it's. Yeah, it's really long. But, but it was, it's, it. it's a fascinating read because it's all. It's a, so it's about how the left took over the PC USA. Uh, and all all denominations, really, all the conservative denominations. All, all conservative denominations. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, but yeah, particularly, and he just says this is their march. This is their marching orders. This is how they operate. And he used as uh, one of the main test case uh, PCUSA or PC, I guess, at the time PC. No, it, was, right? it was PCUS at the time. PCUS. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, you were a yeah. part of that. So. Uh, yeah, that's that's how I that's where I got saved. Do, do you remember some of the stories of how they were able to get underneath that? Because they couldn't go at it directly, right? So they had yeah, kind of a so subversive attack. The, a lot of it had to do with – so they did a couple of things. Some were whisper campaigns. Um, hey, did you hear so-and-so? Right, and then you get rumors going. Um, and then some of it was they – they never brought and they never allowed anything to come to a vote until they could win. So they never let a losing the left never let a losing vote come to the floor. So they used the um, Roberts rules of order to make sure that because they, they always knew what the vote tallies would be. The folks on the right were just being honest and straightforward and oh. weren't, they weren't counting votes to make sure that they weren't politicking. Um, the folks on the left were, gathering up, making sure that they had votes, but they didn't want to reveal anything until they knew they had the votes. And so if they knew they couldn't win or if they weren't sure they could win, they would use Robert's rules of order to keep things from coming to the floor for a vote. So. Oh, um, that's so, that's so fair. It's really, it's very underhanded. Yeah. And so by the time it came to the floor for a vote, they knew that they could win. And so then they would, they wouldn't even get the debate going, right? They would just, let's just get it to a vote. No, no need it. for debate. Steamroll it, get it through. And then, because they knew they had the votes because they'd been politicking behind the scenes. Um, and so, uh, you know, a pastor of mine, he w- was telling me all about this because he, he was, um, he was, and he said, the problem is conservatives tend to have, uh, you know, if you're he, he basically what he said is if you're preaching the gospel, you have a church that's alive and rolling and doing things and growing and you've got ministry needs. He said on the left, they they're living off of the the earlier ministries. You know, so of, the money of someone is, on the right, <laughs> of someone on the right. Yeah, the money the money's in a bank somewhere, yeah. and um, it's so it's not. Um, you, they they're built they they've got somebody else's building they're they've got somebody else's money they're living off of it their churches are shrinking and so they don't have ministry needs and so they can focus their energy on taking over presbytery okay time out time out. don't forget where you're at okay. I, I just got to paint this picture a person 
finds a woman, gets married, has kids, kids. Let's say you have six of them. Phew, everywhere. Poopy yeah. diapers, messed up bathrooms, toilets, you know, yards a mess, upstairs bedrooms a mess, cars a mess. Okay, come home, got to cook dinner, put these kids to bed, sing them a song, teach them how to be good humans, love to stop hitting spank, got to do all this stuff in your life, and you're working a full-time job at the same time, all these things going on, trying to keep up with your other family and friends, and person with no kids? Yeah. I'm going to get into politics. They're, they're going to get into politics. <laughs> That's exactly it. But they got, they, they're like, oh, we're going to go down to the protest. We right. have time. Who's got time to protest anything? He's gonna, right we're going to go rally. I got, I got children. Yeah, only I'm protesting so, is don't don't rub the poop on the wall. I'm protesting right, that. Yeah. Get get the bleach. Right. <laughs> no, you can't eat the cat. That well, maybe, but not not yet. Yeah, maybe not yet. Yeah, <laughs> let's, let's wait till the apocalypse. Right. Um, so okay, because at that point it's him or us. So, so you have these thriving church. I, I, I'm going some. This is funny. I have a set of questions here already set up. They're going to line up exactly with what you're going through. So I, I want to finish this out. We didn't even talk about this. I'm so excited. So you got these ministries that are thriving. They're being successful. God's blessing it. Pastors are working in. So they got ministry needs. You have these liberal groups who are living off of someone else's past capital of being faithful. Something yep. has happened. And they actually have the equity of that faithfulness that they're living through. And now they're using right. their time instead of doing ministry politicking inside of the in, inside of the denomination. Right. So for them, the denomination was really important because it was the power structure. And the left is Machiavellian in its metaphysic, even in the church. And so the power structure is important to control because it defines reality. Right. Um, Explain it, that. It, Power structure so, to control because it defines reality. So the church, in this, so, yeah. so so within the church, you 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 had the modernist, um, the you the so, so in so my experiences with the PCUSA. So that's where I was and heard the stories um, of older ministers, and then had a younger minister that um, was discipling me that was going through it. Um, it, it, who was in the fight uh, in the 90s. <clears throat> so you had the um, modernism, uh, the theological modernism was coming over from Germany uh, and from from Europe generally. Had been coming uh, in, over, yeah. Had been coming over yeah. since the late 1800s. Yeah. Um, and the, the uh, so 1920s, you start, people start, sniffing it out and saying oh wait a second we got some problems and the Jay fight Machen, yeah jay gresham machin becomes one of the he becomes one of the central figures of the fight um and for him it's it's in the um the fight happens at the uh international missions commission or committee lord right have that. mercy so, lord so have, it, are you serious Yes, yeah, so you, the International Missions <sighs> Committee, some of the groups had gotten into sort of communism. Put They were more like pushing communism than they were pushing Christianity. Social gospel, they, they called it the social gospel, where we're here to help reorganize society in a more just way. Okay. Right? Uh, Jason, so that, yeah, go ahead. Why, why is that place where you're directly dealing with people and helping them 
Why was that a target for the communists? Well, I think it's because um, you, you can get behind enemy lines, so to speak, because you're a missions organization. I mean, it, it's similar to the unions where you think, uh-huh. okay, I don't have to run the company. I don't have to do the work of starting the company, but I can control the company from this lever. Don't the we want to help people? <laughs> Guys. But there are people that want to help people, and they're easily taken in with this by this sort of argument. And what Machen said is, um, I want a, a church should be able to support its own missions that are gospel preaching missions because that's what missions should be about. Yeah, uh, and the, don't tell and the Southern Baptists like, that. Yeah, don't you want to help people, right? One, and I think what's hard is it's like the the mission of the church um, has gotten so confused and convoluted over the last hundred years, hundred and fifty years. A hundred years, really, um, that that now we can't. We we are very confused, and I think we need to spend the time before the face of the Lord, trying to recover what our sense of mission should be, and um, because the the old monastic missions or you know, missions, um, they would come in, they would establish a monastery, establish great farming practices education share and teach the farming practices the education the the uh, bring a library with them and you know, they were and they were very generous and um they also preached the gospel well in and baptized lots of people and right and we have ended up setting at, at variance things that are not um enemies you know um in our missions because there are people that are that don't have the God you know, because, because we have, you know, people that don't know or preach or care about the gospel um, or they're afraid. I mean, I, I got to go in um, to uh, into Northern Iraq. Um, but because my plane was late, I missed the, um, the uh, orientation meeting where they told us to be careful about saying, talking about Jesus in public. And so the first time I got a microphone, I immediately started talking about Jesus. And, I, and, the, and the guy who's like, my, my job, I mean, my job was I was teaching classroom management, right? That's why I was there. And I just said, hey, as a, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the uh, believer in, in Christianity, uh, the principles that I'm going to use to teach you classroom management all come from the Bible. Uh, and so I just want you guys to know and understand that, um, that this is all based on the first few chapters uh, of the book of Genesis. And so let me tell you about classroom management now, right? <laughs> you can't get that back in the tube. That's like, no, you know, yeah, you no know way. That God playing that one. I mean, he plans everything. He's like, you know what? Yeah, I, yeah. I'm just going to be funny. Jason's going to miss this flight so he can open up just like this. And you know what's so funny, was the though? First I, one speaking before everybody else. You know what, though? Amazing. Yeah. And also, that's exactly what needed to happen. Oh yeah, and it's probably I probably would have done it. Anyway, that's that's that was going to be my second thing. Is like <laughs> I think you would have said, "Oh, that's where I can't poke at." Well, guess what? 
this is exactly where I'm going to go. I think you probably, yeah. actually, I think if they would have told you not to, you probably would have poked a little harder, which probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have been as, as good. Yeah. You know, you're probably right. And so, you so know, I, yeah. I mean, cause, cause the, uh, um, cause you know, what's the, what's the worst that happens? I get to be a martyr on Muslim soil. What? Praise the Lord. Start but a revival. We, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but what was, what was cool was that meant that the rest of the week, I, I was talking with a lot of Muslim teachers that were very curious because um, they're teachers, right? So they're um, curious. And then also once the principles worked, right, I, I, they, I had one guy come up right. to me. Mid, so we'd teach the principles in the morning, and then the students would come in the afternoon. And so I was able to show them. Uh, the principles in action. And then by the end of the week, they had taken over they were using the principles uh, of classroom management. And it was, and I, and I had said, you can control, does uh, it doesn't matter how big the group of kids is. You can control them with non-coercive means if they trust you. Right. And I had one teacher come up to me and I had seen him at the beginning of the week, grab a student by the ear and drag him through scream in his face and then sit him down. I'd seen it. I'd see, he came up at the end of the week and said, you know, I didn't believe you when you said it was possible. Then I watched you do it. And now I've done it myself. You can control these students um, with, with love and not with, uh, and, and not with pain. Uh, but that's a different, we can't, I just got to stop here. You got to remember, you just reframe for him a worldview that he, he did not have before then. Right. Like they only understand power in that world islam means submission right yeah there's no it is and that's exactly it and so um and that is the machiavellianism that i'm talking about right is Mm. that that power is the fundamental thing um and then the and then reality sits on top of uh it floats on top of a sea of power right and whoever who whoever has the power controls reality Right. And so that is a left view. That's a leftist view. It's a, I mean, it's everything but a Trinitarian, but Trinitarian Christianity has held that view. And so when you start having non Trinitarian um, Christianity, which is what modern well, is heresy. Was, yeah, it was heresy, right? So it's a, it was a rejection of, of a, a Trinitarian. Wait a second. Metaphysic that modernism was. Uh, you know, it's funny. We will sit up here and go toe to toe with people over what they say they ascend to as far as the doctrine of the Trinity, but we will not go toe to toe on their practical applications of the doctrine of the Trinity. Yeah. So then when we see people operating like this, we don't say, you're a heretic. <laughs> we don't do that. Right? Yeah. We, but it, but usually it's because we hold those same assumptions. Oh, you shut up! You shut up! Shut up! Shut up! I don't want to hear that. I don't hear that. Nah. Um, <laughs> you, no, you're right. That's that's kind of, you know, Jason. We talked about uh, that power dynamic so much here, and the more we talk about it, I feel like I understand it new every time we talk about it because I'm so attached to, like you just said, the world, like that guy, it, with. Let me just with my parenting because of the my size and my position and authority. It is easy to just move your kids around 
because yeah. you have power. Right. right. It's really easy to just be like, no, go over there, sit down, go to this, da da da. And then, and then use your spanking ability to be able, or your f- pure force to be able to move them where you want them to do. And I, when my child, my young oldest was two years old, I realized that wasn't going to work well. Like, the, if, right. if, if I have to do, eventually this child is going to be big enough where this isn't going to work well. And if that's all I yeah. got, then I'm not going to win here. Right now, right. I, I want to drive foolishness out of their heart, but that's not what people. I, I've I realized with a lot of parenting, people aren't just trying to drive foolishness out of their heart. They're trying to control their kids, yeah. but they're not giving their kids something to love. And I remember that I fell in love with the God of my parents because watching them, I was like, man, that's the good life, right? And I can yeah. see that, and I was attracted to that. And so with with my mom, particularly, her discipleship of me was easy. Because I fell in love with the God that she loved, right? And so on, and so right. I knew I had to change a very, very young age with my children, the way that I thought about my parenting, because the way that I thought about my parenting, when my kids were bigger, I wasn't going to be able to not, not without a serious fight from them, be able to move them on my sheer, sheer power alone. That wasn't going to work. Right. Right. We had to come to a place where they all thought this was good also. Right. I think that's and I think that's exactly it is reality is not a works based system. Mm. Right. Fundamental reality is grace through faith system. Right. And I think that's what. And so we don't. Our, our kids um, are not, we don't raise our kids by works. We don't, coercion doesn't work in the long run. Um, but what a lot of, what happens a lot of times is then people say, well, I guess then there's just nothing I can do. Right. Whereas, so that when, when we still think it's works, then we just double down on spankings and we, do it more and harder and, you know, think that's what we've got to do versus um, when spanking is a tool in our faith, in, in, in a faithful hand, then it's a wisdom, it's a, it's a wisdom giving tool because you're setting up your home as a small version of a microcosm of, of, the world, a microcosm of reality. God's right? kingdom. Here's, yeah. yeah, here's how the world really works. Yep. If you do this sort of thing, you find pain at the end of that road. Don't go so that way. So when you do this sort of thing here, <laughs> you get a spanking because the spanking is quick pain that is relatively painless and it doesn't last. Right? That's the point, right? Because there's pain that's that not relatively painless that lasts a long time down road down that direction. Yeah. Yeah. And so we want to set up a gate at the beginning uh, of this road. That's a light shock um, because electrocution is that way. So it's a tool that helps our kids come to understand reality um, so that when they get to the world, when they, when they get out into the wider world, they say, Oh, I recognize this place. Right. The, I understand how it works that sometimes something looks one way, but really it's something else, right? That, that the devil puts bait on the hook. Um, I've learned that. I've learned to recognize the bait. 
they also hopefully are learning what to do with their sin because it's not like we raise them and then they quit making mistakes and they quit having sinning, right? They've learned this, that this is also a world where there's that mercy that's new every morning, that forgiveness right, right. is quick, um, that you go to the Lord and say, please forgive me. And he says, I do. And it's done, right? He, and he no longer treats you according to the sin. Yeah. Um, that, sh- that shame, um, that, that, that uh, shame is something that you can leave at the foot of the cross and walk away from it. It doesn't con- have to control you and guilt doesn't have to control you. Like all those things, you want them to be learning all of those things with the way they interact with the microcosm of reality that you have built in your home. You know, and, and just to piggyback on that, and I want to get back to the monastery and the the power stuff, but we're still talking about that. But I also want yeah. to add, while they are learning something, I think it's essential, essential. Um, you know, we are engaged in political ideas and political worldview and thinking about how to have the best biblical worldview as it relates to politics. That's our that's our goal. But when you have a family, it's not just for the education of your kids. I think as an adult who has children, you need to take every moment of your kids interaction and conflicts as a way for you to gain wisdom of a situation like and to be able to use the scriptures and say, all right, Lord, as a judge, as a leader, as a ruler, as a Lord of my home, how do I exercise wisdom between my daughter and my son arguing over a toy. <laughs> right. I, I mean, and, and, and how do I come to a conclusion that is just? Did, was my rendering of the situation a just rendering of the situation? Did I exercise justice in this? Or did I say, listen, if you guys keep fighting about this, um, both of y'all going to bed. It's like, <laughs> really? Did, did I ever tell you about the, um, the time that I we had two of our kids arguing and arg- they were just arguing over um, something. And what what had happened was it w- they had set up an if then situation. The if happened, and then the the person that said if this happens, then I will do this. Refused to do this. Right. Right. So, right. Um, trying to protect identities here. Yes. Yes. And so my my wife said. And they were just bickering, right? And so she was like, that's it, courtroom. So she starts moving chairs. She set up a courtroom. She took two of the siblings and made them the jury. And then she took the two siblings that were bickering, and she said, you each have five minutes to prepare an argument, and then your siblings are going to decide. (laughs) And so they... They both had opening statements, and then they had uh, cross examination. <laughs> That's great. So she set up a courtroom. She was like, "This is it. This has got to be. This has got to be done." Um, and and it became this wisdom opportunity where, um, and so one person started their opening statements, and then the other person, um, she, oh, the other child, started the opening statements and. She pulls Aristotle out of her back pocket and begins to read Aristotle's definition of of truth or Aristotle's definition of truth. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then puts it away. And so she begins arguing from a definition of truth as to what this other sibling had said. 
um, as being not upholding the truth. And then they begin cross-examining. And by the end, they're all giggling, right? Everybody is laughing so hard that the tension is broken. And now they're, it's a game, right? They're having a good time, but they're all, and they're practicing their, they're, they're practicing their argument. They're practicing, you know, our kids, we, we've never really said talking back is not allowed as long as the talking back is reasonable. Mm. Right. We, we have long conversations about, um, so now we have had obey first and then come back and we'll have the conversation. We've had that. Right. Um, right. But, but it's never, the talking back is never not allowed. And, um, because that's different in my home. I just want you to know, that, and I'll tell you about that in a second. I'll tell you about that in a second. <laughs> but there's a, there's a way. So, so, but what my wife has done has, is trained them to talk back. Right. Right. I understand what that's you mean. That's not by how that. you do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's yep. not how you do it. That's not going to get you what you want. Don't talk like that. Right. And so that till until they become reasonable. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you talking about the Joe type realize, of talk back. Let me talk to God. Let me yeah, talk to God. I feel like back. I've been yeah. done wrong here. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. um, let me explain. And and my wife will say, go put your shoes where I told you to. Right. And when they're there, come back. We'll have the conversation. And she's trained them to mm. talk to, to, she's trained them how to talk back in a way that gets their point across. They don't always win or they actually they rarely win because my wife is sharp as a tech. Um, but every once in a while, she'll be like, okay, no, I get what you're saying. You make a good point. Right. And right. No, that's, so kind of, that's it, pretty close to how it runs here. That's, yeah. that's pretty close. Uh, but there's so a, cause by the a, time the jury, I'll just finish the story real yeah. quick. By the time the, by the time the jury came down, even the person who got voted against voted against themselves with the jury. Right. But it had become, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. I get it. Right. And they, um, and, uh, the, the, so, but it was, it, it, she, she turned this contentious moment into a, uh, into a, a game that became a courtroom that, and my kids will still joke about the courtroom, you know, the, the courtroom incident, um, that because it, there's teachable moments, um, and that, uh, that we often make, I'm, I'm losing control go to your room moments because we think it's about control that's and not right. about raising wise kids. It, that's, that's what I mean right. about the power. Yeah. There's a power dynamic, yeah. right? So I got to maintain this. Like a, this is why I do not like police officers and some, I got to maintain power over the situation. So keep it in control. Yeah. Right. And it's, but there's also another way to do this, <laughs> right? <laughs> Where you have a citizenry that wants to obey you. Because you are right. reasonable with them, right? And they they can yeah. see that. It's, you know, the I like the courtroom thing in a lot of ways um, because it gives you some opportunities to, to deal with the gospel too. Um, there was a I've heard uh, Easy from Living Waters talk about doing the courtroom with his kids when they were younger, and uh, they would the kids would be found guilty, and he'd be the prosecutor. He'd be found guilty, and uh, they'd be found guilty, and then he would get up and take their punishment that they deserve for them in a way to communicate oh, right the gospel to them, so that they would have a courtroom. Did you take the stuff, mommy told you not to take? Did you not obey, mommy? Okay, well now. Um, instead of getting the dessert that you really like, um, uh, you get uh, green beans, unflavored or whatever, you know. And so, yeah. and then Dad says, "I'm going to eat the nasty food that you deserve to eat 
and you get to have daddy's favorite get dessert. dessert, right? Yeah. And the kids will sit there and say, like, that's not right, though. <laughs> like, wait, that's not right. I, I'm actually the one that's guilty. I should be. Yeah, I know. And daddy loves you. He's going to take your punishment if you ask for forgiveness. I'll, I'll. Well, yeah, well, you forgive. Absolutely. And, and dad will sit there and eat the, and I, I remember hearing that and he's like, that's a great way to communicate the gospel and repentance yeah. and, and model those things. It's also a great way to sh- reveal offices and roles and authority yeah. that are not power dynamics, right? We don't know how to live in this world that's, that's not a power dynamic. And, and so I, I just, the more and more I think about, we were talking about wisdom earlier. My kids, you know, we had a situation where one wanted to play, one wanted to watch one show, one wanted to watch another show, and they couldn't figure out which show to watch. And they brought it up to me, and they were like, it was my turn to choose. No, it was my turn to choose. And I was like, well, um, if you guys don't figure this out, right, then daddy's going to take away the TV from everybody. I wasn't going to do it. I wanted to see something, right? This is like the two babies. This is like a baby. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Two yeah. women. And, and one of them said, oh, good, because I don't want to watch. I don't want, I'd rather not watch anything. I was like, there goes my problem. <laughs> we found, we found the it. Issue. We yeah. found it. And I was like, all right. So the other child, you get to choose what it is you guys want to watch, right? And, and so the, other, the one who was like, oh, and you're like, you know what? Let's go talk about your heart real quick. <laughs> right, yeah. I would rather everybody had to suffer. Yes, exactly. Yes, yeah, so you get this exactly. And yeah. I and but it, it helped me. It's helped me understand that my problem with my kids isn't so much a problem with my kids as it is opportunities for me to learn what wisdom is, right? And to exercise that. And in the process, as I'm learning wisdom, I'm discipling them so they learn wisdom and they learn to love each other and learn the law of God and to love the law of God and apply it to their own lives and operate in that way. But if you're not doing that in your home, then whatever your home actually is, is probably more like that of our current denominations, our governments, our, our policing. All of it is probably like it's just power. Y'all power. sit down there and shut up and leave me alone. I don't want to deal with this, right? Uh, I'm gonna turn it off now. Everybody's happy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like what? And you see this all over. Kids are treated as accessories to their parents' lives a lot, mm. right? They like they don't have their own story before the Lord. They don't have you know they they <laughs> that their job is to Ooh. be the the extension of their parents. Um, and you see, I mean, it's it's a it's sad to watch. It's sadder to be raised by that. Mm. So so, so we, and so that's in that the power dynamic is in is embedded into the way we live, the way we even raise our kids. Yeah. So you got these monks, and they they get um, brought to this position ultimately because they got kicked out of. Yeah. <laughs> Just ousted from from pulpits all over the country where they were preaching the gospel, and but st- but they had just just expressed that they that they planned to stand against the ordination of women, and um, and so they were just each dislodged. Um, sometimes just by the bishop when they, they would move everybody around and they just wouldn't get a pulpit. They just just wouldn't get replaced anywhere. And so then they'd have to 
switch to try and find a bishop that would put them somewhere. Until they got um, rid of the bishops they, that did. <laughs> so they got rid of all the bishops. Yeah. And so all wow. the bishops eventually um, they were, and they, and the, the bishops would often keep their, keep their positions about this sort of thing quiet until they got power. Yeah. Right. And so that's the other thing that would happen is the, is that you just, which is why the uh, Gary North's book was called crossed fingers. Cause um, he goes through all of the ways they yep. want to say, yes, we, we believe um, in the, uh, the apostles creed all the way down to changing it from, I believe. And I think this was something that happened in, in the German church, not the American church, but instead of, I believe um, uh, it for the, the beginning of the apostles creed, they changed it to, we believe because then people that didn't personally believe it could still confess it because the congregation officially believed it general instead of general specific. instead of specific right and ah. um, and i remember you know i was at a church where we used the we believe version um and i thought well that's I, it's you know it's nice it's kind of communal and who would have that would be uh, the battle though we over i, I. we over i the, that's it a pronoun battle it's a it was a pronoun oh battle. oh um where they shifted around oh, pronouns. Jason, shut up because they said we can control as a means of 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 not of of being able to lie without consequences. Bro, we had the first pronoun battle in the church. In the church, yeah. So, and I and I had and that was one of the ones that the that pastor the pastor explained to me. Um, wow. That that and and he he was like because who's going to argue we and I about pronouns. Oh right? my goodness! Because we do believe it, right? But we didn't see it coming. We didn't see it coming. We didn't so see they, it coming. They, you know, I, I, I like to. Where uh, I was. Oh my saying This week, say, um, that criti- critical theory is just that's what the the uh, that's the devil's argument in in, in Genesis two, right? Is uh, that it's a that the rivalry is is so fundamental right that the rivalry is a part of the fundamental part of reality um and so it's the us it's it's either him or us you know, uh, it's either him or you right that that's the devil's argument with eve is the either god wins or you win who's it going to be um the it's a rivalry um that that's just fundamental to nature zero sum game right zero sum game um and uh yeah. th- that uh, um and once you buy into that then you see it everywhere right and, everywhere um <clears throat> but what if rivalry is not fundamental what if that's <laughs> i mean then you can just say i will play i don't play i don't play that game nope that's a game. You're trying to add something. You're trying to. You're adding. You're, you're trying to put a uh, a poison cherry on top of this cake, and I don't play that. Yeah, but okay. So okay. But it seems that that's the game, and it seems, according to the way the Anglican Church has worked and all the other conservative uh, churches before they went liberal, that that was the thing that made them lose. Because they didn't play the game, and so the people came in there and gutted them with this game, and it was a power struggle. Um, I, I actually think that there was 
Um, uh oh. I think that there was compromise that they had already that had already happened that put them in that position in the first place. Uh, and some of it, some of it, I I think is just it, it's like the we I thing where you just can't like. And this is the people that tell the truth have a hard time imagining that somebody would lie to them. Right. This is why yep, um, you yep. see in a lot of churches, like um, you see the pyramid schemes sometimes take off in a church. Right. And it, and it's because truth telling people can't imagine that somebody would lie to them. And that's just a, that's just a wisdom thing. You start to, you, you've, uh, even truth-telling people learn that eventually. When- do you think, I, I mean, do you think that's part of just kind of humanity itself? I, everyone is surprised when somebody lied. Like, you lied? I, I think that's just kind of built into the hum, human makeup is to believe that what people tell them. Yeah, I think we want to. Because if, prob- if you look at a product, no one looks at a product and says, the, thinks the other way around their first thought is oh wow interesting and then they have to think through this fact oh, that's not gonna work it can't work it's impossible so their first right. inclination they're, is the to promise they're promising more than they can deliver yeah right so we but, but i do think that's our i, I do think that's um i we're not wired to be might, that might be an american thing oh interesting right? i mean interesting I, uh, because, because of christian society are, yeah, because of Christian society that, that we have, I might be taking that, that too far. You might be right about that. that. We fundamentally value honesty um, in America to the point that somebody, if somebody comes in, they're like, "Look, I'm gonna, I'm about to lie to you." We'll say, "Okay, tell me what you're gonna say," and I'm glad to know that it's a lie. Okay, and then we buy from them anyway, <laughs> right? Because they were honest about their lies. Like it's a very we. Um, America is in, we, we have a tradition of valuing honesty. Uh, yeah. We don't have everywhere. You know what? You're right. I, so. I forget how much the gospel has. In one sense, I, I think that we are in a permeated culture of power because we are forgetting what, what we really have been baptized in, what is Christianity. And so we're letting yeah. things creep in. And so there's some, some of that there that we take for granted that the other side is using against us. Because we yeah. are a people who will say that person's made in the image of God. You know, my first response to him is to believe him, which is why our court systems are like, um, hey, you, you need witnesses to convict. You need a jury. You, we still have a lot of that Christian the innocent until proven guilty is our American value and way yeah. that's sip, slipping because we forget why we think that way. It's because of the gospel. It's because of Christianity. Right. Um yeah. Well, and we've we've actually turned innocent until proven guilty into a social norm, because um, it's not it's not a that, that's illegal. not a social statement. That's a legal statement. Yep. Um. So, uh, but we've actually turned it into a social norm. Is that bad? Where, I don't know if that's bad. I don't know if it's bad either, but it. I don't think it was in, intended to be that way. So I've wait. I mean, hold on. I got to challenge that. Can I challenge that real quick? Mm-hmm. Aren't laws intended to trickle down, or should I say, the culture represents the laws that? Um, so it the culture itself has laws that reflect its culture, right? So if you have yes. innocent until proven guilty, it's because the people themselves have a culture that they look at each other like that, 
until there's a evidence that it's otherwise that they are guilty or have lied or stolen. So then the law should be reflecting what the culture has built inside of it. I, that is true. But we also live in a culture where people can put onto social media um, something that is an obvious um, problem and people will say, well, look, they're innocent until proven guilty. This is, you know, this is, <laughs> this is, and you're like, well, but it's on their social media. Like I'm looking at it. Yeah. And they'll say, well, I don't know. That's not how that works. We got to wait for the court to decide. And you think, but we don't, right? Because. <laughs> but, but that's, I think that's the difference between innocent until proven guilty and innocent until you have a reason to challenge, right? <laughs> like they've given me enough yeah, reasons to yeah. challenge whether or not they're going yeah. a particular way because I have evidence that might point to guilt. <laughs> right. Right. So it's not right. like without evidence that you need, this is enough evidence to challenge the position. Not, not to say that they are in final retort guilty. But, well, but I think there is a, um, Hmm. You're not going to hurt my feelings with this. No, no, I know. I know. I'm just, I'm just thinking through it. I think that what you have though, that's going on is, um, innocent till proven guilty is a jurisdictional issue. Yeah. And we kick up, we always want to kick everything up to the highest jurisdiction rather than make judgments. So innocent till proven guilty, should be something that guides me within my jurisdiction. I have to make judgment calls all the time, though, within my jurisdiction. Um, that that that. So, for example, you know, if I'm going to work with somebody I don't know them, I but somebody I know knows them, I'll often call and say, "Hey, man, give me your take on this guy." Yeah, you know, I just did this not too long ago, right? How many people do you call? Two or three. Um, I call, it depends on the relationship I have with the person and how well I trust them and how well they know the person. So then you, so sometimes you have to call. Yeah. Sometimes you have to have two or three. Um, no, I mean, you, I'm saying you're saying you're saying call a, a bunch of, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I don't want to call a bunch of people if I can get it done with one Yeah, or two, you know, because you're, yeah. because, because I'm not trying to, um, because it, for me, it's not, because I want to protect reputations because I would want somebody to protect, to protect mine. But if I'm working with somebody and I'm like, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know them well enough or, um, but you're still practicing they're promising the a lot. You know, you're, you're still I, practicing the rule. Right. I'm trying to practice it within my jurisdiction. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. No, no, no. I agree. I, I, th- I think what we have, I don't think that's what happens. I get what you're saying. Society. I get what you're saying. <laughs> I think, but so you're saying I if people want to go ahead, I think people ought to, I think people ought to use that principle within their jurisdiction. I got you, but um, that's not how we're currently I, using it. I don't think, I don't think we currently use it that way. I think we use it to stop other people from okay, making so judgments. Let me, let me say it like, they should be making judgments often. So can I, let me say but, it like this then. If your presupposition is a power struggle, then innocent until proven guilty becomes a way of you creating, uh, let's take it Machiavellian, 
everything to the highest form of authority. Yes. And then let's lynch you there. <laughs> and I think that's I think that's what we have going on uh, right okay. now, right? So Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of this a, a lot of the January 6th stuff that's going on right now, I think that's what's going on. Is you've got all sorts of people that are like, "Well, but he already confessed that he's guilty," right? And look, he was wearing that weird hat and um so why would he confess to being confess to guilt if um if he's not really guilty now that, you know so none of so even though the evidence is now in front of their eyes they're still saying but he confessed to guilt now they're not looking at what he confessed to they're not looking at what the charges originally were versus what they actually became when he said he would become he would I can't remember his name, Jacob something, um, the QAnon shaman. It's been really interesting to watch. This is the first thing that's actually pulled me onto social media consistently in a long time because I want to read through what people are saying from both sides um, because I still don't have a single story that can make sense of all of the things I've seen. Right now. No, no, no I agree. Got all this, and, and I'm like, I don't. I yet. I do not yet have a sensible narrative that that puts all of these things together. Which means I know I'm missing facts. Because if you have enough, when you have all the facts, then you can tell the story um, in a way that makes sense. And right now, I cannot tell the story in a way that makes sense of all the things. So either some of the facts are not true that I think I have been able to confirm as facts. Right? So that's possible. Or um, there, there are facts that are currently missing for me, um, and so I can't make sense of how some of these things fit together. But watching people try to make sense of it um, has been fascinating because there are people that just say, I, I refuse to add these new facts to the story because I've got a story that makes sense right now. Right, yep, yep, yep. Right. Um, I I thought I had a story that what well, I I thought I had a story that made vague sense, um, and now I'm like nope I didn't. There's the the and the the biggest one for me. So just about just about Jacob I think is his name. Just that part of the story. Watching the police help him try to find an unlocked door to get in to the Senate chamber. There is no version of the story yet in which that fact makes any sort of sense. I can come up with a story that makes sense of that fact, but I don't have other facts to support it. Right. Well, you would need to talk to those other officers. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Who told you? Why did you open the door for get, him? Why were you who trying told to help you him? Yeah. To allow, who, who told you? to put him there yeah so the options are at this point there's somebody above them that said hey get this guy where we can get some good pictures of him as the leader or they were saying yeah we better help stop this deal because we know that so right those are the two options i've got right now so, so why does why does innocent until proven guilty? Why does that? How does that fit into that? Because, because 
um, the way that we use it. I'm, yeah. The way, so the, 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 because you've got people that are saying, well, he, he confessed to guilt. Why would he confess to guilt if he knew about this stuff? Yeah. Right. I've seen that so much. Right? And yeah. so he has proven himself guilty. He can't, there is no way for it to become innocent, but um, that's not how, that's not how these court systems work right now. That's not what a guilty plea even means anymore because the, there's been such a breakdown yeah, of the use yeah. of innocence until proven guilty um, where you, um, I remember reading the statistic on the number of things that actually go all the way to court and how low it is because of plea bargains are, you know, is has how most things are solved now, right? That is not a good, that's not a justice system. system. That's not a justice system. Not a justice system anymore, right? Nope. So, but um, but then the other thing is I call those backbone um, deals. Yeah, exactly. When you have, when you know what your jurisdiction is, right? So my jurisdiction has to do with I have to explain January sixth to my kids, right? That um, I I need to learn wisdom from what's going on to understand. Uh, the direction of the country because I've got a jurisdiction that's supposed to help my kids make sense of their world. Um, I can't do that currently. So because partly because of innocence until proven guilty, right. Um, I'm looking at the evidence and saying, well, if he's guilty, the authorities who are in charge of that are the ones guiding him around there he he ceases to be guilty if the if so the people who are in charge of the capital on that day of protecting it are saying hey come this way you're supposed to listen to them when you're in the capital right now to say well on the books it says he can't be in there doesn't make any sense when the authority he's sta- that's standing in front of him who's in charge of upholding you can't be in here is saying come this way yeah which which authority is he supposed to listen to, right? The police officer standing in front of him who's in charge of, who's taken a vow to uphold this or a, a law that's written somewhere over there that he may or may not even know about, right? It's not his responsibility to know all of that. It's their responsibility. And then they're guiding him through. That that right there makes, it, makes me say, innocent, how... Did his lawyer, why was his lawyer plea dealing anything when you've got this evidence that he's innocent? Was it not available? Where, you know, what's going on? There was no evidence. There was no. None of it was ever entered as evidence. So either his lawyer didn't see it. His lawyer was in on it. His lawyer is bad lawyer. There's a a possibility, right? Um, That he's just. Or he just said, you know what? Rather than fight all this, I'll just plead guilty so that I can take a smaller they see what they do is they offer you they say this is a horrible system and a horrible setup they say listen you take this to court we got the evidence of this that and the other thing every jury because of the public outcry is going to convict you you'll face 25 years to life right whatever right these are punishable federal crimes you'll never work again or 
You get five years, you plead guilty to these things, the things they really want you to plead guilty to so they can get a win. Right. Because it's not about you being guilty or innocent. It's about them getting a win, however they can get the win. If they can get yeah. the win, left, right, up, and down, that's what they want. They want a conviction. It looks good. All right? And so you'll say, hey, that's an easier road for me. It's not true. But I'd rather plead no contest or guilt than try and lose in a real court appeal, right? And they stack yeah. it really heavily against you because they know that you're probably not going to, you know, want to fight that so that you bend. Um, well, and and then because it's a narrative game, yep. once you say guilty, then you can fill that guilty with whatever you whatever want. Whatever narrative you want to fill it with, yeah. It's a very and that's what system. So, and that, that's the other thing that's going on right now is when you look at what some what he actually pled guilty to, Versus what everyone say, said, look, he pled guilty, so let me tell you all the things he did wrong. Right, right. Um, I mean, that's a, that's a demonic tactic, right? You, um, well, that's the only way our courtrooms really operate right now. Like that's no, I know. that's the only way they, there's no justice. There. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's a horrible system. We have remnants system. of justice that still are around, you know. And I'm praising God for that. Um, right. I think there's hope there. But most of the time, the way things are running, it's just not a it's not a good setup right now. It's not a healthy one. We're losing. Yeah. It, it's eroding away in a lot of ways. So I want to go ahead. Did you want to say something? Because I want to get back to the. Well, and I think that's why it's so important that we raise kids that understand justice. That's right. I mean, that's right. The, the restoration of it is not going to be a Machiavellian top down. Let's go. We'll go get the power and then we'll restore it to its up. Uh, not not right now. At some point in the future, I believe the restoration will happen that way. There, there, um, there isn't a place there isn't a place that operates in America where someone cannot have a true virtuous, just understanding of the world. There, I mean, if you're a mechanic, you need to you need to have a very rich, yeah. virtuous understanding of justice and duty. Right. And and just virtue, period. Right? What's righteous? What's right? What is good? What is a blessing? Like this is a lady coming in here, single mom with kids. Her brakes need to work super well. Right? Right. <laughs> you know? Um and and if 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 uh, and if she says, Hey, I can't pay right now. Right. Um that's different. At you being able to make the distinction between her and a guy who you like, well, no, I, you got a job. You got, I know you, I know you got a job. I know you can pay. You can work here right? in my there, shop and pay it off are, if you need to. <laughs> right. There are people that, there are people that can try it. That'll try and there will always be pe- people that try to game the system. Yep. Um, but being able to look at a single mom and say, in a lot of ways, it doesn't matter if she's trying to game the system. She has no protection. Right. So we as we as her neighbors uh, are her protection. And so we so um, you you got to you got to be but you got to be able to make those distinctions wisely. That's right. Right. Wisdom and, and have have that wisdom. But that's what um, that's what I'm saying. Like, even if you are raising your kids to understand and to have wisdom, it's not just to be in the courtroom. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's like you were saying earlier, this is in my sphere of operation. I don't care what industry they go into. And this is where the breakdown is. Everybody looks and say, Oh, our institutions have failed us. There's, 
there's two major institutions that I think have really failed us. The family and the church. Like those are the two. I don't, I'm, everything else I'm not really so concerned about because the people are made in the family and are taught by the family and are discipled by the church to be able to go into every other institution. Right. So yeah. all the other institutions are a reflection of those two. Period. <laughs> There's no getting around that. Right. And so. Right. If you want to see better institutions, what you don't do is hunker down on the institutions out there, the other ones. You need the right kind of people that say, no, I don't care what this institution teaches. I'm not going to treat a human being like that. Right? Yeah, I just, I mean, just heard an incredible story about a um, young lady getting a master's degree in um, speech therapy. And for her final project, she was given a man who's trying to transition into a woman and she was told, go teach him how to alter his speech so that he can speak in a feminine way. And she's, she said no, because she's a Christian and she's probably getting kicked out now of the master's degree program. And losing seven years of education towards what she wants to do is help kids that, that have speech impediments. And you know what? And so she's, um, and, and she's just saying, I I mean, I got to stay with, stand with Jesus on this one. Um, This is, and I can't mean that'd be really, really hard, but you, you know, I, those are parents that are proud, right? That's, those are some parents that are like proud of but proud you, of the daughter they raised. I think people need to people need to see what's happening. All of the Christians that are standing their ground and refusing to go along with the world, this new cell is splitting off, and this one yeah. that is removing the Christians from it are going to die. There will be no all these Christians that say, "Listen, um." I'm sorry, I'm not going to take this experimental shot, whatever, right? And are standing on that and say, you don't get to have an authority over me in this manner. They've all been pushed out of a lot of institutions and separated from them. So now there's a moral virtuous compass that is gone and is developing on the other side. So now you've got a bunch of kids who are not going to have this kind of virtuous type of teacher moral um foundation teacher who's going to teach them language and their their whole language thing is going to just erode and go away and you have people who won't speak well and that's going to die off (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. not going to go well and then you're going to have this other group group of people that's going to flourish yeah i just heard another story um as well from a gentleman who uh didn't get the vaccine Christian guy who just said, I don't, I don't trust it. His job, he was, um, was to watch body cam footage for a major police department, um, and, and make judgments, right. Put together, help put together the cases for criminals and turn in the cops that broke the law. So you had a solid Christian dude, who studied the law and and loved justice who was the eyes on the on a major police department right that's what he did 
he just he said he and he, and he said you know most of the time you've got cops that are they're trying to do their best they're trying to do what's right, right. and um and he and he he said and you've got criminals that are criminals and then you've got people that just are in the wrong spot at the wrong time and you know things didn't That's go, right. and he and he could make those distinctions because he loved the lord he's a compassionate guy um turned in cops when he had to you know um, when they when they broke the law because he understood the importance of having just police department yep that guy got replaced replaced like that because um and they had to go find somebody new who may or may not have that Christian understanding that uh, that the law is well, they're going to over everyone equally. You know that they're going to sure have the compassion on the criminals. That has that wants um, that wants just cops. That doesn't want that, that doesn't under doesn't have a Machiavellian view that well the cops are in charge so whatever they say right you you that that guy you you hope you can replace that guy with somebody that is that has that same level of both compassion as a Christian for criminals and wants to make sure that they're not um, railroaded. Right. And so if the evidence isn't there because they're innocent and so proven guilty and it's his job to watch the evidence and decide is this legal evidence or not. And that also at the same time is, is um, would rather get fired than not turn in a corrupt cop. Right. You want that guy to be the eyes, right? He's, he's gone though. Cause he was because he he didn't like and and for him what was interesting is he just thought it wasn't legal that the <laughs> that they were forcing it on people and so he refused on legal grounds no this is not legal i'm i'm not going to comply not because i don't want the shot but because it's illegal for you to tell me to comply and somebody's got to say no and I, he studied the law, and he, you know, <laughs> so he's fired. No, yep. And, and you're like, oh, that police department is not better off without him. So earlier, you were talk. We were talking about the, I think about 35 minutes ago now, 40 minutes ago, maybe. <laughs> I hate to do this when we're getting close to the end, but I have to go here. You were talking. We were talking about the idea that these monks, was it monks, right? In this monastery, uh, yeah, yeah, were. They refused to put women in the pulpits and they didn't come at them directly. They came at them indirectly to indirectly, remo- yeah. to come and subversively remove them from their positions and and basically got them out, kicked out with Anglicanism, Anglicanism, uh, uh, Episcopalian, Episcopalian okay. church, Episcopal church, the Anglican church. So, uh, so and so these guys all ended up in a, in a monastery together. And you're up there staring the pot. But so I came this morning. I turned on. I started looking. I think it was Twitter. And remember that Canadian teacher that was wearing the prosthetic breast in classroom, huge and stuff like that. And um, anyway, it was a big story. Well, you don't even need to know all that. But basically, some I think it was him. It was on Fox News. It basically said we need to completely destroy capitalism. And I wrote down, I want to make sure I remember exactly what I wrote. And it was interesting because I'm saying, wait a second, the fight that we're having with and the pronoun thing you talked about earlier, man, I, that still hits me. But the fight that we're having now, I thought was over 
sexual issues. I thought was over LGBTQ stuff. I thought was over roles, man and woman, right? I thought was over and and this person who is a I don't know what he is, a pervert, says we gotta destroy capitalism. And I want to talk to you about fascism a little bit today, but I'm like, wait a second, why is it um why is it that the left thinks that if they can destroy capitalism, they can destroy Christianity? You know what I mean? Because yeah, yeah. this is I don't we are so busy focusing on so many things. And when you talk to Christians, they will not have they will defend capitalism when it is attacked, but they don't see it as a charging point to the Christian worldview either. And I think that's problem. I'm thinking that's really problematic that there are a lot of things that are blessings of Christianity. Yeah. That Christians will not defend because they don't want to make them the gospel. That's their argument. What they neglect to see is that the gospel produces a world that has much blessing. And these are one of the connecting pieces of it. It's not gospel. But as a definite fruit of the gospel, matter of fact, it's a tree <laughs> that grows up from the gospel. And so, but in, in the left, I'm like, why is it that they feel like? So fascism, another yeah. one. These are direct co- communism attack directly on capitalism. And it's like, why does the left, while we're having all these arguments and fights over social issues, they want to go right against co- capitalism and say, man, that is problematic. Yeah. Why is capitalism such an attack point? I think that's their subversive move. Am I right about that? I, I, I think it is a subversive move. It's a, it's a shimmy, you know, they're, um, uh, the, yeah, it's a spin move, so to speak. And, and I think but, we're willing to give up some parts of capitalism. I think we're willing to like maneuver cap Christians maneuver and manipulate or function and play with capitalism because it isn't a hardcore Christian doctrine. Right. Yeah. And it, it isn't um, because, but the, the reason that we think that it's not worth defending is because we don't understand what they're actually attacking. They're called and they, they, because they're defining the terms. Right. So, um, if you find I one of the things, you know, when I hunt through old books, I love old bookstores. One of the things that I always snag if I can find it is the old in in the forties and the fifties, thirties, forties, fifties. You had a lot of pastors that would write against communism, right? They the the and um, we we have been convinced that that was a red scare pro- thing, right? That that the reason that everybody was so upset was because that there was some sort of mass psychosis red scare thing that happened. Um, and everybody wanted to fight communism, um, as, cause it was this bugbear, this, this, um, it was the, the, the Baba Yaga that was sneaking up on us in the dark, which, you know, we, you still got to let me know if you're coming up for John wick Four the true Baba Yaga. But anyway, that's a whole another I gotta figure that one thing. out. Yeah. You got to figure that one out because you got to see it on the big screen, on the big screen with the big, uh, I'll buy your ticket. But um, the, what you have 
is what what they actually though were arguing was Marxism is um, a is a move away from a Christian metaphysic. A Christian metaphysic in which the generosity of God has given us this place and it's mm. our job to garden it. It's our job to bring it to its intended end. It's our job to to um, to multiply resources that we find because it's a multipliable the world is a is a multipliable place, right? Because of because it is founded on the tri, the overflowing love of the triune God, right? That that's that that's the that is the the grounds of of reality. That the triune God is the grounds of reality, right? That everything grows out of that, or rests upon it, or exists because of it, or right? That that we don't that we our 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 existence is dependent upon the non-dependent reality of God's nature, mm. who, who is triune, unchanging, uh, overflowing infinite. with grace and love and mercy, infinite. Yeah. Uh, and we are finite, dependent, um, but the kind of place that God made is a place where you've got treasures hidden and treasures multipliable. Right. Uh, Marxism says um, that the this place is a place of limited resources, a fundamental rivalry, and that uh, that the rivalry is over resources, and that somebody has to be taken from, um, and somebody has to somebody has to be the taker, somebody has to be the taken from. So the fight against Marxism was not; it was a fight for a definition of reality. That was how it was originally seen, right? So, capitalism is the summary is a sum as a summary statement is um, was originally a defense of a metaphysic, not a defense. So, an, an economic an economic system that that aligns with reality versus an economic system that. Uh, is posited posited on top of a different view of reality. So, um, and this this is a fight that's gone back and it's gone under different names, right? So, in Calvin's church, that one of their elders um, did a series uh, called that you you can still find it out and about. It's called Against Machiavelli. Oh, really? Right. Do you remember? Yeah. Uh, um. It, so it's I I can't remember the name of the elder. But it, they ended up publishing the lectures that he did, and he, and it's so, um, because the 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 fountain of that of Marx's view of of Marx's metaphysic is the the, the Italian Renaissance philosopher Machiavelli, and the Renaissance, the Italian Renaissance went in two directions. One went, um, you had the Dante direction um, that influences the English world through Chaucer. Um, uh, so, uh, but, uh, Oh, not, um, uh, not Botticelli, but, um, it, anyway, I can't think of the, there, there's a series of poets that end up, uh, influence the Italian poets that influence Chaucer and that, and the Renaissance, the Christian humanist Renaissance is brought into the, um, the English speaking church through Chaucer. Um, and it's, 
and it's the uh, eventually the fountain of the Reformation, and the reason being that it's it restores a lot of the uh, the 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 document tradition, right? The the it brings a whole new series of books um, into the West, um, but it also um, the you begin challenging the supremacy of the Pope. Dante is the beginning of the challenge of the supremacy of the Pope, uh, of the Bishop of Rome as the as the ultimate authority. Um, and that flowers in, uh, in the Christian humanism that becomes the Reformation uh, in one direction. There's another side to the Renaissance, though, that is Machiavellian, um, where that be, that is a, that posits a different, um, metaphysic altogether. And it, it flowers in the French Revolution, um, but it comes from the same spot, right? And it, it starts as an argument there during the Renaissance, right? Between um, this new, the, the new learning um, that, that uh, Machiavelli's trying to argue for, basically that, that Christianity um, is a control mechanism of the powerful. Mm, it tries to reframe what Christianity is. It tries is. to reframe Christianity, what Christianity is. And so he says, unless we can get rid of Dante, who makes it beautiful to, um, it, who, who makes this control mechanism beautiful, um, uh, and, and convinces everybody that everything has a nature and an intended end, we can't, we won't be able to dislodge society from the grip of Christianity. Um, and it, so that once, because once you do that and you gather enough power into one place, then humanity will have control over reality. So he's kind of the, the, um, you know, now all of our technocrats, um, the, the futurist movement, a lot of them are just kind of the end of Machiavelli. If we get powerful enough, we can literally overcome death we can, all, all that stuff is is there embedded in Machiavelli. Marx is the popularizer um, uh, because he, he Marx Marx is the popularizer of that Machiavellian metaphysic uh, under the name of socialism, communism, and fascism. Um, as what they call what they defined as the center, the left, and the right, but. Everything you know, they say this. Here's the they they try to to push the spectrum down to just this these three options. Um, so if you're to the right, you're a fascist. If you're to the left, you're a communist. But if you're in the center, you're just a socialist. You know, they're the neutral. Um, and to reframe the argument that way, uh, it it is a way of and capitalism is pushed off of the spectrum altogether because it depends on a different metaphysic. So as Christians, the defense should be of the metaphysic because mm. capitalism is the fruit that grows from that. And capitalism is just the fruit that grows from that tree. It can be a helpful shorthand to say, you know, um, you know, I'm a, traditional capitalist or something like that because they even now what they they call what is actually fascism they often will call capitalists and they say oh it's crony capitalism well that's just fascism right that's you're trying to 
you're trying to put capitalism onto your spectrum. Your spectrum is not aligned with reality. But when you see when you see someone who is a crony capitalist, which is like you say, fascist, you should see a broken metaphysic. Broken meta, exactly, right? We should say, well, that's not the that's not the way the world works. Which is why when you know, when they come along, when the it's the same with the. How do you um, argue that though? So critical theory is based on the same metaphysic, yeah. Um, which is why they train as Marxists, right? Um, they, uh, because it's 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 all the same metaphysic. How, how do you argue with it? Well, there's a, a couple ways you argue with it. One, you say, hmm, I. It sounds to me like you think rivalry is is fundamental and has to be there. What are so? Could you? Knowing that, I ask a lot of questions. Yeah, that's, that's what I, I was going to ask. Yeah, so then because I see when people figured out that people were using critical race theory, when the right, let me say this perfect, better, when conservatives and the right started hearing about critical race theory and they understood what it was, the way that they argued against it was, hey, that's critical race theory, as if that had enough power to say, oh, you're right, let me stop using it. Right. right. <laughs> it doesn't. You know, calling somebody, oh, that's a rear naked choke, doesn't make them say, oh, man, you got me. Right. I'll stop using it. They're like, you're right. Yeah. Now go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's how conservatives argue. And so we for there's a couple of different things because I don't I think the way that you argue with the left versus you argue with the right is two different things. I think you have more of a um you know a a baptism to pull conservative people by than you have with the left. So then your question yeah. become your questions become you don't believe in a zero sum game, do you? Right. Yeah, that, that that's where I start. But so because here's how I, I've heard a lot of conservatives say, hey, this is you're you're saying this is about race. This is about race. This is about money. Like, oh, you're still Marxist. <laughs> this is about this. This is about the haves and the haves nots. This is not about uh, race. You're still losing. Right. Because that's still Marxism that says the that the rivalry is not between black and white. The rivalry is between it's between the rich and the poor is uh, you're still on their spectrum. Right. So you're saying this isn't a, these aren't, these aren't racial issues. These are social issues, right? These These are are economic issues. Social issues, economic issues, right? Sure. (laughs) No, I mean, these are, that's the game I don't play, right? This, these are human issues, sin issues, sin and redemption issues. There's um, the, there's uh are these people acting like Adam and Eve in the garden or, or out of the garden? Are these, are these people, is this a Cain and Abel story? Right. But I, so for me, it's, we, I, you got the story wrong. You're in the, this is a different story. You're telling a different story than is what's really going on. And that, that's how, that's how I try to argument uh, or try to argue is, um, well, I, I don't think you have the, I don't think you're telling the story the same story that you're seeing. You're not relaying to me the story that you're seeing. Here's the story as I see it. The, um, and the, the reason you, in order to be able to have that argument though, you have to have, this might be a plug for the conference <laughs> October 11th through the 14th or 11th through the 16th. Um, but you have to have a very strong understanding of creation to be able to make that kind of argument. You have to have yes. a really rich oh, knowledge really, of, of God really. and creation. Yeah, and I and this is why um, 
you know, I don't have any problem fighting for, for, you know, the, the first three chapters of Genesis as historically accurate, right? Because that is where the argument, that's, that's where the argument is. Always has been. Right? That, it always, yeah, that, that, and, um, why I think that, you know, I know that within a small sliver of, uh, conservative, Presbyterian and Baptist, Baptisterian world. There's arguments about the second coming, right? So that and and why I'd go to the stake over the physical second coming of Christ and the physical judgment of all things, the restoration of all things, the resurrection of the just and the unjust. You know, go to the stake for all of that. Yeah, like I would rather be burned alive than deny it. Um, the the um the and the reason is because that's the frame narrative of reality so without it you don't just lose a little bit you lose the the whole cake oh, yeah. right you yeah you you don't you're not you, um so so when people say um so like when people say man i you know i think uh, i don't, i don't know i i think gay marriage is probably fine I say, do you know what kind of health problems sodomy causes? And they say no. Say, then I wouldn't, I would be careful to say that until you know what kind of health problems sodomy causes. <laughs> right. Right. That, and just leave it at that, right? That's my, my argument is reality disagrees with you. Mm. Now, so that's, um, go ahead. So, so now I understand that because of the scriptures, but I also believe that the scriptures are true all the way down to reality. Reality, right? <laughs> so, but so what's the um, and you know so so there's a rhetoric question, and then there's a um, so if if somebody says why do you believe that, I can explain from the scriptures, you know. Um, the book, you know, I think the book of Leviticus is really helpful on this. When you understand the book of Leviticus, the book of Leviticus presents homosexuality as an attack on the image of God or an abomination right. against the image of God. Right. Right. So, um, you, you are, and there should so, be evidence of that laying around everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. But the, the question that you ask, um, should, if, uh, if you're, um, shouting matches don't change minds. Right. Right. Asking the kind of question that a person can't answer within their worldview does does at least um, open up the possibility of a changed mind. Right. And so if it's changed minds that we're after, we've got to think in terms of story, rhetoric, rhetoric and story. Are, Are there aspects of reality that do not currently fit into the narrative you're telling? Right. And if we know what those are, then we can. There is ask those questions, and because it's also a compassionate way to say it, right? Why do it, it's it's not um, it's not because I think you know uh, homosexuals are gross that I want them to stop. I think it's bad for them, and it's gross. Right? <laughs> I, I, right. right. But, that, but that's not the foundational. That, that's not that's not the that that's not a good argument, right? Right. Because that's an argument from my emotional response um and 
Those are good uh, too, though. I mean, I like those arguments. Right? Just in the same way. Do you think it changes people's minds? um, I think a beautiful woman does. (laughs) Yes. No, that is that is totally true. See what I did? I just did one of your moves. I just did one of your moves. I just did it. And can I? I just want to say no. I'm actually seriously. I did. I thought about you when you were thinking about like what would Jason say here. No, there is an argument from beauty, which is why Dante had to go. Beatrice was that argument. Beatrice is that argument. And the, the the reason I get so upset about makeup brands is because they take away the natural beauty of a woman. And they make it so easy that a man can do it just by putting on some powder and color. Right. Right. And so I hate them because they're trying to shroud real beauty. Right. Yeah. And then and I'm not saying that you can't use those things to enhance what's there. But the way that they use makeup now, you got to go six or seven coats below. And it's like a woman's glory is not to be cover it like that that she's beautiful right right? um and we need to let that be seen and the more that um men do things they give their glory to their woman and she shines that's why marriage is important is because a man's glory is to be given to his wife right um and she takes that glory and multiplies it go ahead well and i think that's i mean i think the real argument is the the fruit of the womb it is the reward. Right? I, I mean, that's the, that's the, the real argument is a historical argument. Fruitfulness, and this is yeah. one of the things, one of the things that amazed me about all these uh, men that had been dislodged from their pulpits is they had committed to training the next generation of preachers. Mm. That's what this place did. Right. They, and um, because mm. they actually, and for some of them, it was a conviction they came to by being removed from the pulpit that they come to came to understand the power of the of they came to understand the power of the word of god to recreate by being taken by it being taken away from them so some of them um but but they said so we need to train up a generation so we we um that looks at the pulpit and says hey let's go fix the world the word of God will re we, let's go rebuild the world with the word of God. Um, and that's, that's what I was going to so say. Yeah. It's that long-term historical argument. The, the long-term historical fruit is the argument in, I, in both those situations. I don't think um, something else I'm learning with my kids. I, we were doing family worship and I can't remember if it was Proverbs. Um, yeah. We were talking about the fear of the Lord and this lovely book recommended by David Reese. Proverbs and politics. Everybody needs to get this book. Proverbs and politics. Oh my goodness. Um, it's so good, but he, he deals with the foundation of wisdom as being the fear of the Lord. And then he goes on to Psalms and it says, you know, one of the things that we do is there's like three things we do, um, is we believe the scriptures, we submit to the scriptures and we revere the word of God. Right. So that, um, we have knowledge and understanding because and and as I was working through this with the kids, I was like, don't forget, um, this is the word that made the world. You are part right. of that creation. You are made up of words. That's what I'm telling my kids. So this is why you don't backbite each other, right? You back talk and, and they'll, you're made up of words. 
And so when we're witnessing and we're arguing with people and we're using rhetoric and logic, these aren't just systems. What we're trying to do is rebuild through words that God has given us humanity. This is the Christian right. humanist project. These people who are broken are made up of bad words right now. <laughs> they, they are trying, they're, right. they're eroding and we need to use the word to rebuild them so that they get regenerated. Right. And it's the word. So using right words with a good attitude and heart to, to go after and save one is the project. Right. Right. And because they're made up of words. And so there isn't anything, there isn't anything else that's going to get them restored except the word. And that's what we're trying to reason with them. And we have the word from creation and we have the word specifically from the, the revelation of the word of God that are a perfect harmony. They're not um, two separate things. They're one. It's a hammer on the left side of the hammer and the right side of the hammer. Right. <laughs> and I think it's the hammer and the anvil. Th- there we go. And yeah. And we use those in our, in our uh, as we're talking to people, which is why it's so important. It's like, okay, what's the right words? That's what, you know, what are the right words to use? That's what I'm asking. What's the right questions to engage with? Because we'll take a system and I, I'm precept all the way through. Don't get me wrong, right. but we'll take the system of precept and instead of um, using that system for us to understand what right words to use. We'll use that system on them as if they're going to get right with the system. It's like, no, no, <laughs> like, you know, you gotta, that's for you. Precepts for you so that you develop the right words to use in the conversation, you know, and appealing to reality in those things. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. You know, we had, I had, here, here's a good example, right? So, um, I once sat down on a plane and the guy next to me said, um, he he ordered a uh, vodka tonic and and then he tried to pay with cash and they were like oh we can't take cash and I was like oh I got it I'll I'll pay for your drink because um, he didn't have a card and so I paid for his his vodka tonic and and then uh, he said thanks so much he says he, he I said oh what do you do he said oh I'm in sales and he said what do you do and and this was back when I was a pastor and I said oh I'm a pastor and he said oh I'm addicted to pain medication. <laughs> Like, excuse me? He said, I'm addicted to pain medication. <laughs> well, this <laughs> is going like, to be a long flight. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> tell me about the, tell me about this. And, and he's like, well, I'm in sales. And I wasn't good at it because um, I was nervous. And my cousin gave me um, a hydrocodone and said, take one of these before you go in. You'll be so relaxed you can sell anything. He said, and it worked. And so I started taking one before every time I went into sales. And then I started taking them when I wasn't on sales. And next thing you know, I went to prison because I was trying to buy hydrocodone under the, under the bridge. So I spent a month in jail. And um, when stupid. I got out, yeah, the jail part was yeah. stupid. Yeah. Um, yeah, he said, when I got out, I thought, okay, good. At least now I'm clean. He said, but, um, the, uh, the, Cops had not found the hydrocodone that was in the pocket of his jacket. And so he immediately got back on it. And, oh, wow. Um, and he said, and so I'm addicted. And I said, I don't think you've got an addiction problem. You've got an idolatry problem. Why do you think you made that sale? Who, who provided that sale to you? And he was like, well, I was so relaxed on the pill. I was like, yes, yeah, so you think the pill is 
your provider. That's an, uh, anything, thanking anything but Jesus for that sale is idolatry. You need to say, thank you, Lord, for that sale. The God has been providing for you. It's not the pills that have been giving you those sales. Jesus has been giving you those sales. And you haven't been saying thank you because you've been focused on this pill as if it's the provider. Right. Um, I just did this. Everybody needs to take that and apply it across the board to every sin. Right. I mean, every last one of them, every sin, everywhere that you find yourself in worry over your job. As if that thing is provided for you in, I mean, in worry over your relationship. You know, it's, it's the same thing with sexual desires for people who mm-hmm. aren't married. God will provide for you. He has been providing for you. He will. Uh, uh, the same thing with pornography. That is not your provision. It, all of you just applied across thieving and stealing, skimming from the top at work. It's not God has been providing for you. You haven't been saying thank you. And you think that you are. Oh, it's so good. That's applied to everything. (laughs) And uh, that's, I learned that um, from an Assemblies of God pastor. It was a good friend of mine. Oh, they can't know Jesus. (laughs) Speaking tongues and (laughs) stuff. He he just, he, um, (laughs) I I went into the hospital once and and I called him and I was like, Hey brother, can you preach for me this Sunday? I'm, I'm in the hospital. And he's like, yeah, sure. He's like, I'll just preach the sermon I'm preaching. So, um, and then I listened to it later in the week. Uh, what he preached, he just preached on, he said, idolatry, what is it? Mm. <laughs> and that was his sermon. It was fantastic. It's like anything that you, um, anything that you, re- so God provides, he, he provides for us. Um, he protects us and he, uh, uh, and he gives us our identity. Right. Mm. provision protection identity and salvation anything that we trust in besides jesus for our provision identity protection and salvation. salvation and so he said jesus gives us all those things and i was like man that's brilliant right and um so the you've got that and that has just become something that god sort of dug down deep within me and now it's, uh, it's just a part of about a lot of things that way. Yeah. That's really good. Um, really, That's really, really good. That, brother. Um, and, uh, the, <laughs> the, but yeah, the, in evangelism, I mean, that's what, that's the question I always ask is what's the idol. How do you just point the, point them away from the idol and to Jesus, right? That that's, that's how you, do evangelism with people and not with ideas. We tend to, to evangelize ideas rather than people. Man, you better preach. You better preach. Ideologies. Yeah. We, we've got them to, we've convinced them. This is part of the problem with our major apologetics is that we've convinced them that the thing is wrong, but now they go find a different idol. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, the problem is I got the wrong idol. You know, I'll be right I got back. the wrong idol. Yeah. If I can find the right idol, he will provide for me. Right. You know, um, and that, and I think that's a, um, it's just one, you know, it's one of those things that, um, the, it's, and it's, it's like a lot of things. It's an art form. It's not a science, um, science in the modern sense. It's an art form and you just learn to, and, and you start by doing it to yourself. Uh huh. As I was just gonna um, say, you know, what do I, what do I, uh, what are some of the things that I'm getting my identity from besides Jesus, right? P- 
primary identity. You, there's all sorts of secondary identities um, that are not idolatrous. It's just the way God told, tell, told your story. But you want to be telling the same story about your life that God's telling with your life. Um, yeah, the, some, of the places, practice. some of the places I've been able to identify really easily is like, where do I worry at? Yeah. Like when I, when I sit down and like, Oh, I'm worried about this is like, hey, I'm being faithless. I have an idol here. Something's going yep. on. I don't trust God here. You know what I mean? And so that's, that's really, that's really been clear. So I want to ask those pastors that are, were in that um, monastery. Did they ever say what they wish they would have done in the process? Did they ever say, or could you glean it now that they, cause so, here's, here's what I want to set up because I want to talk about what they, what they wish they would have done in the process. And then now that we're under attack in ca- the capitalism under attack, how should we then respond? Because those two things I think parallel really well. Yeah. I, well, I, I only talked at length to a couple of them. Um, one of them, he he said, "I wish I would have understood uh, the power of the pulpit when I was in it." Oh, right. oh, shut up! Right. So um, he would have preached on it. Yeah, he would have <laughs> he would have preached on it. So he he um, but he was promised conversation would come, and so just hold off. Well, let's let's have a conversation. And so he didn't oh, preach my goodness. on some of those things. Well, because he was promised a conversation. And then he was removed from the pulpit and never got the conversation. Don't preach on it. He was like, and he, and so he, so he said, and so that was one guy, he was an older gentleman in his late sixties. Um, and he just said, I wish I would have understood the power of the pulpit when I was in it. Okay. So then um, with that said, that's one. So then just taking that conclusion, we need to have a more, I guess the, the question I'm asking and some statement I'm making at the same time is our process needs to be that of preaching the complete worldview, the biblical metaphysic, so that when we see things like fascism or the attack against capitalism, we understand it not as a singularity entity that's attacking one thing, but a whole worldview, because that's how the other side sees it. And so we need to preach a biblical metaphysic all the way down to individual economic business transactions. Is that right? Right. The, the touches that the, um, as if the, this world is made by God. And so it's touched. Everything is touched by his words. Amen. Come so, on now. Yeah. So, Come on uh, now. um, I mean, one of the, one of those gentlemen, I heard him, he, he got a chance to speak to a group of young preachers and I, I was in the, in the group of young preachers that he was speaking to. And he, he was, he stood up and he said, this he was holding his Bible. This is light. Your job is to shine it into the darkness. That's what preachers do. Mm. He said, "Yeah, mm. yeah and you are cry. preaching My goodness. Have mercy. into a world that is. <laughs> so you're preaching into a world mm. that is made by the word of God. Yeah, and will be remade by the word of God." Ooh. If you preach it, glory. When you preach it, you come know, on when you now. Preach the word of God, right? And this is an old Episcopalian who's saying, "Let me let me tell you what your job is in the pulpit. Go remake the world. 
Mm. You got and and the scripture. So he's, mm. the scripture and the scriptures have the power to do it, right? Go and you think this is a guy that he gets the long term that this is a long term play. Yep. Right. Yep. And and he preached passionately to about nine young preachers because that's about what they could get to to head out into the Angle into the that Anglican Episcopalian world if you're saying hey we're the ones that don't that don't ordain women like you don't get very many people recommended to your seminary um if in that situation because you're tr- you're saying let's go win back the american episcopalian church right right that's a long-term play if it's possible at all right it it could all go into the ground and um you know that who knows but he 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 knows that the job of a preacher is to go remake the world. So that, you're not doing that by works. I'll tell you that. <laughs> you do that by faith. <laughs> Which is exactly how Adam had to walk out of the garden. Right? You're right. You're absolutely right. But I mean even in the beginning before the fall, the, right? He had to do it by faith. He had to believe like I'm supposed to take the whole world and make it like this. All right, right Lord. But, Think, think of all of the um, all of the church growth movements of mm. the eighties and the nineties, and the the. Let me give you the system. Hey, have you counted your parking lot spaces? Because you got to have the right number of parking lot spaces if you're going to be a growing church. And if you don't have the right number of parking lot spaces, then you're not going to grow. Yeah, what's your ratio of empty seats how what's what's your greeting like at the front of the church you know all, all those are the things that they spend their time focusing on in the church growth movement um if if we don't look around now and say well that was bankrupt right then we haven't been paying attention because it was pretty bankrupt um and it didn't it didn't help it didn't work um i know there were people that were saved through that and so i'm sure. that's, i'm not discounting all of that but um, as a movement, it was a workspace movement. Um, it was a sociological, and, and the, the, the fountain of our works were sociological, um, mm. so, were the social sciences, yep. um, sociology. And so there, this is going to be yeah, the, that's Hybels and all those guys too. Like that was yeah. sociological uh, set up. Yeah, absolutely. The, the move, um, the move away from the gospel in the, the, tens 20s 30s was a move towards psychology it was also a social science switching the social science is not what we need to do but that was a metaphysical move too though they were both metaphysical moves right that one was a um psychology is going to be the thing that's the god that saves uh, you saves the church right so psycho psycho and all the psychoanalytical movements were in their heyday it was just it was a worldliness um it was the the same time that Freud and then Carl Jung were taking off and um uh and but you had the same sort of thing going on that sociology was at its heyday really um in the those seventies, eighties, nineties, and the church just bought into it, right? And marketing, you know, the, the market so the marketers were all starting to use sociology and we said, Hey, and so can you. Um and that's why all the sermons the are church. like your best life now. At, you know, just split off from that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you know, you had I, you had men that I that meant well and that I think loved the Lord that bought right. into it, um, and you had hucksters as well. Um, but they they would do a survey 
of the neighborhood. What are the things that are important to you? Yeah. Oh, financial management. Okay, we're going to do a sermon series on financial management. We're going to bring financial managers up front, and they're going to give you tips and tricks on financial management, and then we'll invite you to join a small group, and you'll get the gospel there. Um, or not, because maybe they, you need to get to the miniature, miniature small group before you get to that. Or, but that you you go after the felt needs of the people, the word of God creates a desire for itself. When you right. preach it, people that don't know they want it start to want it. People that don't know they need it begin to need it. Right? Um, it, it's it it creates its own audience because it's got the recreative power of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's in the hands of the recreative power of the Holy Spirit. Lazarus doesn't normally come back from the dead. You don't sociologically or psychologically plan for resurrection. Um, Jesus speaks and Lazarus comes forth from the tomb. We preach the word and we, and we expect resurrection because the power of God, the God himself, the Holy spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, who raised Lazarus from the dead, who created everything um, by his power in the first place through the through the spoken word of the father who is Jesus is there with us promises to be. And so the tool that when the word of God is a tool in his hand, it's a resurrecting tool. It creates its own hearers. You know, Jason, it's not like we haven't had these stories told to us. I know. Can these dead bones live? Right. Right. We know this story. We speak to we them. Do. <laughs> like we don't, we, yeah. but we don't, we've forgotten how to engage. We don't believe it. We just don't believe them. Right. And we, Ezekiel 37 was, is my, it, it's secretly my life passage. I think about it all the time. Right. Because, um, I, and, now, you know, having seen the evidence of it throughout the opportunities that I've had to preach the gospel, it's, it's amazing, you know, and, and just knowing, knowing enough faithful ministers that you realize it's like that everywhere, right? The gospel preaching ministers, they see dead bones get up and dance, you know, right. um, you know, that they see people get lost and accidentally end up in church and get saved, right? <laughs> like they, they, they're not even sure why they're there. Um, it, the, um, and that, that's, it's just something that God is doing all throughout the world. And when, when you're preaching, then he's doing it there. Um, so why would you not? So then, okay, that I interrupted you. Are you talking about one of the guys you were talking to? The other one, did he have any thoughts of what he felt like? He um, well, and, but the, so the other one, um, he just said, I shouldn't, when they said, Hey, let's, let's talk. Well, let's have a conversation. Let's, we're just trying to get a conversation going. Um, he's, he just said, I just should have said, no, no, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to be just preaching over here. I'm not going to, I'm not interested in having the conversation. Right. So it's this, I'm, I'm because it's not a a tenable argument that you're making. um, And 
here's the other thing though is a number of them that I talked to because I, I I basically when I heard this was ha- this had gone on because I have a social disorder I think and I don't feel awkwardness I was like can everybody just tell their story and so everybody went around the dinner table and and some of them hadn't heard one another's stories they knew it had oh, kind of wow, happened but, yeah um, but what um one of the one of the guys he, he they got a lot of head nods he was like look I know I don't know everything and so when they said, well, hey, can we just have the conversation? I'll ex- l- let me say why it is that I think, um, I should, w- that I think we should start ordaining women. And, and then you can have a chance to say your part next. I, he said, I wanted to be humble because I know I don't know everything. And so I thought, well, let's see. Let's listen. Let's hear their arguments out. Who knows? I could be wrong. Um, and, uh, a lot of them were like, yeah, I had the same thought. Like, who knows? I could, I could be wrong. I'm willing to hear it out. He said, now that I look back and realize that they weren't being honest, I wish I wouldn't have said, yes, let's have the, but how do you know in that moment? That's not, as I know it is. It is. It's so hard. You have Um, to, you have to first make a conclusion that this person is being nefarious, right? Yeah. That they're being nefarious or that this is, they, they didn't have the benefit of, that we have of knowing the end of that, of the end of that road, which is the homosexuality, the transgender, but they did uh, gender fluidity. I mean, they had 1960. Yeah. But they just came out of Germany. They just came out of, (laughs) you know, like we are reading the same things that they just got done experiencing. It's like somebody saying, you know, I think I think you're right. Although, it's like, but it's like saying we had no idea in 2023 they would attack us with airplanes. <laughs> we just experienced I, 9/11 20 years ago. You know what I mean? So I don't I have think, No, I think that's I think I think that's true. I also think <laughs> you're being um, nice. I, I I am I am being nice, but I also think like for a lot of them like these were the guys that were like they're they're trying to fight um, they're trying to fight racism, right? Which is right in front of them. They're trying to do, they're trying to like, they have fights on their hands. Um, and so they're not thinking like, Oh, somebody's trying to do an end run and take over the denomination. Well, they have communism in every aspect of the culture. I mean, they just, they're going, they just went through it with Disney. They see the subversive moves that are going on and have been going on since the twenties. They know the worldview has changed in the early turn of the century. I mean, at that point, you have to, you know, I'm sorry. I'm I think, no, I think you're right. I, th- I think I think we should learn from what they didn't see. Right. Right. I also think right. um, that you that it's easy to be arrogant important. at this point. It's, yeah, yeah it's, that's careful. Yeah. It's good. That's I think good. it's important to, to look and say these guys, these guys stood they stood and they lost and we're going to honor that. You know, when, when uh, the, the opening of the Nicene council, um, you had the, uh, um, you had the Caesar. Um, uh, why can't I think of his name? Uh, the, he was the Caesar that converted to Christianity. Constantine. Um, Constantine. Yeah. yeah. Constantine. He brought up one of the, 
pastors that had had his eyes removed. Um, for, oh yeah. Yeah. And, um, and he kissed him on each eye and he yep. kneeled in front of him. I remember that. Right. Um, I mean, hearing about it wasn't. That yeah. Good. Yeah. And, and I think that Con- you know, Constantine's the emperor, it was his office that had done this to this man. Right. And so he brought him up and he said, this man stood and lost. And, but we need to, you know, he, he, he stood for a losing battle. Um, and he was the one who lost on our behalf. And so we're still here because he was willing to, to stand in a losing battle. And I think there's some of that, you know, men that got removed from their pulpits because they wouldn't just say, okay, I'll go along with it. Um, Mm. there's there's honor in that um even if they didn't see the whole play right. that was being run on them they That's didn't good. understand what was going on they they stood and they said no i won't i won't actually ordain a woman right they cuz it was the refusal to lay hands on uh, on on a woman that's getting ordained that got them removed so even <laughs> if they didn't see the whole play right they were like mm, except i wouldn't you know and that and that was what that was part of the question that eventually it came to is so you, if we all are decided to ordain a woman, would you join in and help us? Well, yeah, no, I, mean, I would. Yeah, that's well, and I think we had multiple options and probably end here. But if you just look at the church and the pandemic and watch what they did, like they were compromised so much that the issue of laying hands on a woman was so far downstream. Like they, they closed their doors. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. So <laughs> whatever you want to say about these guys, you know what I mean? Like, but you shut your doors. <laughs> right. Well, and that, and that was even, you know, cause I, I know even in the midst of the, the pandemic, you had people that were like, look, I, I actually don't know. I'm not sure what's going on. Yeah. What I know is people that show up to worship Jesus, you don't say go home to. Right. They're well, like, have- so I don't know everything that's going on. I don't know. I'm not sure what to say about the vaccine. I don't know what to say here. What I do know is I'm confident that w- when it's Sunday morning and it's time for worship and people are going to show up, you don't say, hey, go home. Right. You say, oh, good. I'm glad you're here. We all come in and we worship God on Sundays. That's what I know. And so we're going to do that. We'll figure everything else out. And so if those folks that did that, that you, um, you don't say, yeah, but you, what you didn't see coming was this, you know, you say, okay, with, with what they were confident in, they stood. Right. Right. They right. stood and you honor that. Um, that's good. And, that's how you honor your forefathers. That's really good. Yeah. You honor your forefathers in that way. And, um, and then, and say, thank you for doing that. We, cause that, cause that means there is one Episcopalian seminary still that won't let women in right. to the MDiv, right? Like there's one that stood and said, no, men and women uh, have different roles. We don't put women on the front lines. Doggone it had a pronoun fight back then. Pronoun fight. Isn't that crazy? I mean, we don't, oh, man, I still think there's a lot of meat on this bone with fascism and capitalism. I don't think that we're done having this conversation. I, we didn't even get a chance to get to the poem that you, you wrote, but I, I, I am seeing that we are letting the Republican side argue for capitalism and conservatives who are compromised like the Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro and those guys argue for capitalism and sex and all this stuff like that while the church is kind of saying, well, while these have implications of God, this is not our 
our fight is different in this. And so we don't preach the word of God all the way down to the bone where it touches capitalism and, and deals with the metaphysical reality because actually fascism and communism are attack against created order. Yeah. They are Trinitarian heresies. And I think that's what we, um, I mean, I don't think you ever have to mention capitalism from the pulpit. I mean, I sure, think you sure, can. you can. I don't yeah. think that's a problem. But I don't. Um, I don't think you have to mention it from the pulpit to be defending. Re- I think we just defend reality, right? Right, um, right, we, right, right. That we Absolutely. defend the, the generosity of God. I mean, generosity is not. But Jason, possible you know, what? I, 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 in a bureaucratic metaphysics, I want to challenge that a little bit. The way people are so broken down with their understanding, their lack of literary wisdom, the lack of their poetic understanding, I don't think that we know how to put two and two together the same way we probably once did. And so that's probably true. But I also think the goal is not the goal is not to restore capitalism. No, no, I'm not trying to make it the goal. I'm trying to I'm talking about the metaphysical of construct and fight. That is in there that people aren't engaging with, right? And I don't, I, right. I, I don't think they see it that way. And so, no, but, I th- I, yeah, I think you're right. I think you you do have to be explicit about the created order that that God that um I think I think we need more. I mean, I think we need sermons on the Trinity. Let me explain. Right, Trinity. right. We, yeah. we need sermons on what does it mean that a triune God created this place out of the overflow of his generous love. What does it mean to that? We, we need those sorts of sermons yeah, but that not, are metaphysical sermons and that deal with economics. Cause that's what we're talking about. Yep. We're talking about yep. house law. That's all right. the scriptures are dealing with is you're loving. God is the right. That's part of the law. And then loving your neighbor. Well, what does that look like then Yeah, for one to really I mean, love think, their neighbor? Well, which is why I think it's important that you just, that you preach books of the Bible from beginning to end. Cause then you can't avoid the economics cause it's, I mean, and actually preach about every verse, right? You know, you right. can skip verses to avoid the economics, but God talks about economics quite a bit. It's um, he's, he doesn't, he, he doesn't shy away from it because, because economics, I mean, we tend to think, I think that economics is a dirty thing. Um, or it's instead, something secular. We think it's, or it's something secular. Yeah. But instead God set up, an economic world so that we could show love and, and exchange value and add value to one another's lives and multiply value um, in the world. And so that we could be generous. Right. Right. Um, So we can act like the Trinity. (laughs) We can act like the Trinity, right? So that we can have, we can have more than we need so that we can give to one another. We can have less than we need so that we can receive from one another, right? He set up a world in which generosity is possible because of the fluctuations of economics um, so that we could reflect him because God is both the giver and the receiver within the triune um, generosity. Uh, And so we, so there are times when you don't have enough and you need to be blessed by the deacons fund and, and, uh, and then there are times when you have more than enough and you can give to the deacons fund or you can take care of your neighbor or you can, um, you know, uh, you can gather together and get the single mama car and, you know, all those things that are good things to do. Sometimes you're on the receiving and sometimes you're on the giving end. Either way, you can reflect 
God in that moment. Uh, and that's, that's a, a fundamental biblical economic work hard with your hands, quit stealing, work hard with your hands so that you can be generous to one another. 